you take John's Gospel, chapter 21, you could uh, see at least four different uh, short episodes in this single chapter. To begin with, we find Peter the Apostle, the disciple, leading six others back to the profession of fishing. And then we go on to see how the Lord comes to the Galilean shore, performs a miracle, and then they have a big haul of fish. And then it leads to the third episode where Jesus has a personal conversation with Peter. And eventually, in the close of the chapter, we find uh, Peter asking the Lord about John and John's future. The beginning of this chapter shows how Peter suddenly announces one day that he is going back to fishing. It's so sad that this happens after chapter 20. We know that in the earlier chapters that Peter denied the Lord three times, but later he did see the Lord, the risen Lord. He was revived. He worshipped the Lord. He was glad that he met the Lord, and the Lord renewed his call. And after having seen the risen Lord, we find him in chapter 21 telling six others, I want to go back to fishing. Backsliding is a problem that all of us face at some phase in our Christian life. I'm sure there is no one in this whole hall who could stand up and say, since I was born again, I never backslid. If there is anyone, I would like to appreciate you and learn the secrets from you. I read once of Jonathan Edwards, and he makes a very profound, stunning statement. He said, I was born again at the age of four, and I never backslid. A tremendous statement. All of us experience ups and downs in our Christian life. Here is a great apostle who walked with the Lord, who listened to the Lord, who saw the Lord performing mighty miracles, choosing to leave his ministry and go back to fishing. Now what made him to go back to fishing? Did he not leave his boat and nets and follow Jesus completely? Probably, my inference is, he was overwhelmed with a sense of deep sorrow. He might have told himself, look, I have been like a leader, the spokesman for the whole group, and I've been trying to lead others, and I made loud statements about my own stand. I said, though all men deny thee, I am not going to deny you. I am even willing to lay down my life for you. Having said all that, I denied my Lord, and now I am not worthy to follow him. My past tells me that I'm not going to fare well in my future. A sense of deep sorrow should have filled his heart. And he felt unworthy for the calling to follow Jesus as a disciple. Probably the second feeling could be feelings of insecurity. Today Jesus is alive, but very soon he is going to ascend to his father. And what's going to happen to my future? Who would take care of my wife and my kids? What's going to happen to my family? Self-introspection is useful if it is going to lead us to true repentance. 
but sometimes self introspection carried too far can become negative and lead us to depression we need to be very careful when we examine our own hearts introspect our own hearts we need to turn to jesus repent and then receive his mercies but if you push it too far you get so discouraged and depressed about yourself i'm thinking of judas iscariot overwhelmed with so much sorrow because he has betrayed the lord and sold him for 30 pieces of silver and then judges himself goes and hangs himself the lord never intended that judas iscariot should take such an extreme step i do not know what his future would have been had he gone back to his master and fell at his feet and begged for mercy the life and the story of judas might have become totally different backsliding is a problem that all of us face the bible says proverbs chapter 14 and verse 14 the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways that statement reveals at least two important truths the first one where backsliding originates it originates in the heart the backslider in heart psalm 95 10 hebrews chapter 3 verse 10 in both these verses we read about israel they always do err in their hearts your fall and my fall begins in the heart first before we fall in the public sometimes it takes a long incubation period when no one can even know that you have already started backsliding in your christian life because you keep up all the external appearances you keep coming to the church singing beautiful songs you worship with others take part in the ministry team we do all those things which others do but backsliding had begun long long ago in our hearts and no one knows it no one ever suspected that judas who was constantly with them had already backslidden in his heart backsliding starts in our hearts that's the reason why we need to keep our thought life very clean we need to keep our thought life well guarded the enemy always attacks your thought life and if you're defeated in your thought life It's a matter of time that you're going to fall publicly into sin. Before David could commit adultery, deception and murder in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it all began with a secret lustful look and the imagination that he started building on that. If only he would have overcome sin in his thought life he wouldn't have had the sorrow of falling into sin and reaping the consequences later he had to write psalm 32 psalm 38 psalm 51 to make his confession public how much loss he suffered in his family his own son rebelling against him his own daughter being raped in the family all because a father fell in his secret thought life and gave way to his lust 
Why did God write all this history in the Bible so that you and I may be warned today? History can repeat. It can repeat in my life. It can repeat in your life. If it can happen to the sweet psalmist of Israel who knew the power of God, who could even defeat Goliath, why can't it happen to you and me? Backsliding always begins in the heart. And the next part of the verse tells us they shall be filled with his own ways. This is how you find a backslider. A backslider does not wait for God's plan in his life. He does not wait for God's word in his life. He does not have time to wait upon God in prayer to discover the will and the mind of the Lord for the plans that he has. He decides, goes ahead and starts doing things. He shall be filled with his own ways. In the beginning a way may seem right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. You don't discover that you have reached death till you reach it. Here you find Peter backsliding. And then you also find he is backsliding not alone, but he is dragging six along with him. I wondered why these six did not get alert and tell Peter, now look, we have been called to serve the Lord. We have left our, no, our boats and our nets. And how is it that you are calling us to go back to fishing? It's so easy to pull others into your own backsliding. It's so difficult to pull them up. It's much easier to pull down people. It's very, very hard to pull up people and to take them forward in your Christian life. It's so difficult to advance an inch, progress in your Christian life, take along others with you. But when you fall, you don't fall alone. Andrew Murray made a very powerful statement once. He said, there are only two groups of Christians, backsliders and soul winners. Backsliders and soul winners. I think he got this powerful statement from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 30, Luke's Gospel, chapter 11 and verse 23, where it says, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. In God's sight, there are only two groups of people, two groups of Christians. Either you are gathering people, winning people for the Lord, and if you are not doing it, by default, you are already in the other group scattering the people. You might say, oh, I am one of those harmless guys. Though it's true that I don't win anybody for the Lord, I am not potentially harmful to anyone. That's what you think. But God does not think so. If you are not an active soul winner for the Lord, you are an active scatterer. Forgive me for being so blunt. Jesus said it. I am just repeating it. I am repeating it to myself. I am examining my own life to make sure that my life is a witness which has an impact upon others to draw them to the Lord. The Lord saved me. The Lord saved you so that we in turn could become instruments in the hands of God to win others for the Lord. How sad that Peter went back to fishing. And that night the Bible says they caught nothing. In Luke 5, he tried the whole night and he could not get anything. And again in John 21, you find the same Peter 
trying and getting nothing. In Luke 5, he did not know the Lord. In John 21, he knew the Lord and he became a failure. There it is the failure of a sinner. Here is the failure of a saint. In both the instances, Peter was outside the plan and the will of God. Did they forget all their fishing skills? I don't think so. Just in three years. And he has six others to support him. They should have employed all their skills together, but no, that night they could not even catch one single fish. And then the Lord fully well knew that they had failed. They have backslidden. Despite having seen him as the risen Lord, he comes to the shore uninvited. He could have easily said, how long can I tolerate these rebellious, stubborn, hard-hearted disciples? They walked with me for three years. They deserted me and ran away. And now having seen me, now they go back to fishing. I have no hope with these disciples. Better forget them and start a new bunch altogether. I'll train them for the Lord's work. But the father did not do that. He comes to the shore. And look at the way he addresses them. Children, have you any meat? A restoring father, the heart of a father. Some of us as fathers struggle with our own children, wayward children, rebellious children. They break our hearts. But we don't chase them out of our homes. We cry for them. We pray for them. We want to win them. We want to restore them. That's the heart of a father. The father waits for the son, for the daughter to come back to the Lord. Three days ago, I was talking to a father whose daughter made a very bad decision in her life. And he was crying. He said, I am praying for her, that the Lord may help her to come back. Children, have you any meat? The word children is a term of endearment, an affectionate word. This word becomes all the more significant because it is used in the context where disciples have deserted him and have decided to go back to their fishing. And when the Lord asked, have you any meat? Immediately they said, no. A backslider has nothing to offer God. A backslider has nothing to offer God. He has nothing to satisfy the heart of God. And then the Lord tells them, cast your net on the right side of the ship. They did not move out a few meters away or go to another place in that big lake of Tiberias. All that the Lord told them was, you throw the net on the right side. Throw the net Throughout the night, you were throwing the net on the wrong side. The solution was so close, and they never knew it. The fish was so close, but they did not know it. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. He shall be like the heat in the desert, verse 6, and shall not see when good cometh. That's one of the curses when we begin to trust our own selves. 
trust flesh our arm you can't see though good is so close to you though blessing is so close to you you're looking in the wrong direction altogether but god has kept the blessing right here and you don't know it sin blinds us to our own blessing to our own goodness that god has prepared when they got a big haul of fish it is then their eyes get opened and then peter rushes to the shore but when he reaches the shore he finds already coals of fire fish ready hot and bread for all those seven disciples from where did he get the coals of fire from where did he get the bread and the fish the lord who saves us is the lord who sustains us the lord who saves us is the lord who sustains us if it is true the lord has called you and me it is his responsibility to take care of our needs and he does it as a loving compassionate able father when he led israel out of egypt he led them into the wilderness a homeless and a directionless place he fed them faithfully for 40 years with manna from heaven day after day 2 to 3 million people what a miracle which cannot be explained in human terms god meets our needs faithfully and truthfully as long as we are in the plan and the will of god manna did not fall in egypt manna did not fall everywhere in the wilderness it fell only where the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire led them that shows when we are in the will and the plan of god god takes care of our needs he sends fresh supply day after day and then he tells them now bring the fish that you have caught and uh, they brought to the shore 153 big fishes we work among uh, certain uh, small assemblies which are close to the seashore in south india and whenever i visit them they request me why don't you come into the sea because most of them are in, into the fishing trade they have trawlers and uh, i had the excitement of going along with them and watching how they catch fish they throw the net and when you pull up the net usually you get fishes of all kinds of sizes don't you you get small fish middle size fish and big fish you never get only big size fish but here you find only big size fish it looks as if the lord has told all the fishes all the little ones middle ones go backward all the big ones come forward enter carefully into the net don't jostle one against another and break the net carefully enter try to fill the space i want the maximum to enter into the net when god's hand is there he does miracle after miracle and after this miracle he engages peter into a conversation he asks him simon son of jonas do you love me more than these he says hey lord thou knowest that i love thee 
Jesus repeats the question. And then he answers the same. Ye Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And the Bible says when he asked him the third time, he was grieved. And then he changes his answer. If you notice carefully in the answers that he gave, first two times he says, A Lord. Third time he does not say, A Lord. He says, Thou knowest all things. One of the problems with Peter is his self-confidence. He always boasts about himself. Do you love me more than this? Yes, I love you more than anybody else. A loud proclamation. First time, second time, when he came to the third time, he said, something is wrong in my answer. I don't know my own heart. The Lord knows everything about me. I boasted big things, but I denied him. Why did the Lord ask questions? Why did he ask questions? In the Bible, whenever God asks questions, it does not mean that he does not know the answers. It's like saying, when a teacher asks questions in a class, it doesn't mean that she does not know the answers. God asked, coming into the Garden of Eden, where are you? To Adam. To Cain, he asked, where is your brother? To Hagar, he asked, from where are you coming and where are you going? To Jacob, he asked, what is your name? When God asks a question, that should alert us to the fact that something has gone wrong in our lives. And we need to check up our hearts and give him an answer. And why did he ask him three times? I believe to remind him of the three denials that Peter made, that he doesn't know the Lord, though he walked with him three years. And also notice, he uses Simon, son of Jonas, and he does not use the new name, Peter, that he himself gave him. In John 1.42, you find when Andrew, his brother, introduced Peter to Jesus, he says, thou art Cephas, meaning Peter. He gave him a new name. Why doesn't he address him by the new name, but calls him by his old name? There is a reason for that. The word Simon stands for his old fallen nature. And the word Peter stands for his new divine nature. When you receive Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 tells us we become partakers of the divine nature. Now when the Lord puts in the divine nature, he does not remove the old nature. The entry of the new does not mean the exit of the old. If that would have happened, all of us would have turned like angels overnight. The fact is, all that the Lord does is to put the new nature in us and allows the old nature to remain in our hearts. And that's the reason why the struggle begins the moment you become a Christian. Paul talks about the reality of this struggle. Talking to Corinthians, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the outward man and the inward man. Colossians chapter 3, he changes the terminology. He says the new man and the old man. Coming to Galatians chapter 5, he says, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit lusteth against the spirit. They are contrary one to another. Paul speaks about the reality of this struggle. We have a dual nature. As believers, we have a dual nature, the old nature and the new nature. 
Now, why did God allow these two natures to reside within us? Now, two things you cannot do to your old nature. You cannot eliminate it. You cannot kill it. You cannot do both these things. Why did God allow this struggle to go on in a believer's life? Many times we have ups and downs in our Christian lives. Sometimes we behave like Simon, like the old person. Sometimes we behave like Peter, like the new man in Christ. Sometimes we have a longing for God coming out of Peter's nature. Sometimes we seek those things which are displeasing and dishonoring God, Simon. This is real in every believer's life. Now, why did God allow this struggle to continue in a believer's life? I believe in his sovereign wisdom, God allowed it for the simple reason that God wanted us to choose to serve him day after day. And there cannot be a freedom of choice in the absence of options. When you don't have options, you have no freedom. So God naturally allows two natures to exist within us. Day after day, I need to choose the new nature, depend upon the new nature, and glorify the Lord by listening to the new nature and keep ignoring the old nature. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He does not say walk in the spirit and ye shall not have the lust of the flesh. It says he shall not fulfill, satisfy the lust of the flesh. What does it mean? The only way for you and me to overcome the old nature is to simply starve it. Don't feed it. It cries for food day after day, but keep starving it. Every new situation, day after day, somebody talked ill about you. Immediately the new nature says, don't give it back. Don't give it back. You are a child of God. Forgive him. Pray for him. And the old nature says, no, if you are going to leave him like that, he's going to keep on talking about you. You need to give it, give it back very strongly. If she knows only so many words, prove to her that you know more words in the dictionary. That's your old nature. Sometimes we give in to the old nature. And there we get into trouble. We become guilty. We cry to God. Lord, why did I ever do this as a believer? This is the reality of our struggle. Now the old nature can never be killed. Even if you starve for 10 years, without feeding it even once. Just one breakfast is enough to bring him in all resurrection glory of Lazarus. That's our old nature. So Jesus is addressing Simon, the old man. He said, Simon, do you really love me? There was no need for him to talk to Peter because he knows Peter would have never done this. Peter would have never gone back to fishing. Peter would have never dragged six others along with him to fishing. And then in this conversation, we also learned several truths about what true ministry is. What is true ministry? True ministry is feeding others. True ministry is feeding others. We live in a sin-hungry world. People hungry in their, thirsty in their souls. And they are waiting for the bread of life. And God gave us the bread of life, John 6, 48, in the person of Jesus. And we need to give this bread of life to them. 
And in this conversation, you also learn the other fact that the one who feeds others most is the person who loves the Lord most. Do you get me? The one who loves the Lord most is the person who is eventually going to feed others, not the one who has got a lot of Bible knowledge, not the one who has got much eloquence, not the one who has got all the skills of communication. The one who loves the Lord supremely is the person who is going to feed others. That's why Jesus asked him, do you really love me? Then you go and feed my lambs and my sheep. And the second thing that we understand is, God is not likely to commit his sheep into the hands of someone whose love he doubts. He is not likely to commit his sheep into the hands of someone whose love he doubts. God wants to use you and me to feed somebody else. He gave us the bread of life. He satisfied our souls. Now how can I go and feed others? By loving the Lord supremely. He makes us channels of blessing to others. Then the Lord assures him that he is going to be used of the Lord and when it comes to die, he is going to die for the glory of God. And after all this, suddenly you find Peter turning to Jesus and asking him, Lord, what shall this man do? What shall this man do? Now let me tell you, in Christian life, you need to be very careful when you get, when you start dealing with other people. There is a world of difference between involvement and interference. Involvement and interference. Basically, both these words mean getting involved in the lives of others. I become involved with others. The Bible tells me to do it. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Look not every man upon his own things, but also on the things of others. Be concerned about others. Be compassionate to the needs of others. Provoke one another unto good works. Pray one for another. Encourage one another. Prefer one another in honor. In so many ways we are instructed to have care and concern for somebody else. That is involvement. When it comes to interference, that means having an unholy curiosity to know what is happening in the life of somebody else so that you may know it and then gossip about it. Many times as believers, we can fall into this great sin of interference. And so Jesus had to snub him openly before everyone. And he said, what is that to you about him? You mind your own business. I have called you. You follow me. Don't be worried about somebody else. In this context, let me leave three important principles in the matter of dealing with others. Number one, learn from others. Learn from others. There is so much that we can learn when we meet other believers. I have come into your midst, though you have made me to stand here and preach, I am sure I am going to learn so many things from all of you as I interact with you and talk to you. You may not know it that you have been 
blessing me and you have been a source of encouragement to me. You do not know, but I get encouraged when I meet believers. Learn from others. The second safe principle is, but always look unto Jesus. Always look unto Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a list of faith heroes. Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, Daniel, David, Caleb, Joshua, Mary, Sarah, and so many. But the Bible, when you come to Hebrews chapter 12, it does not say, look unto them, but look unto Jesus. You look unto Jesus. Make him your real model. Learn from others, but look unto Jesus. And the third safe principle is, compete with yourself. Don't compete with others. Compete with yourself. In Psalm 61 verse 2, the psalmist prayed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He says, I am not satisfied where I have reached so far. Lead me to a higher plane. Lord, this year, this is my target. I want to know you more. I want to read your word more. I want to win souls more. I want to draw close to you more. Set targets for yourself. Compete with yourself. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. This one thing I do, I press toward the mark. Be focused. Have a target. The Lord has a great plan for you. Did Peter really learn his lessons? I believe he did. When he wrote those two beautiful epistles, first and second Peter, you find in second Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16, he praises Paul very much. He says, though I cannot understand the depth of wisdom and understanding Paul has, yet I praise him. He appreciates him and then he says, there are those who do not understand him and they oppose the scriptures. It's so hard to praise someone who is your own contemporary. And especially in the context, if you know Galatians, in one time, he even withstood, Paul withstood Peter and rebuked Peter. So to praise a man who corrected you, who rebuked you publicly, demands a lot of grace, isn't it? To learn from others and to learn from Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21, he says, Christ left us an example that we should follow his steps. And thirdly, not to interfere in somebody else's life. First Peter chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer. And what is the final expression? Or a, as a busybody in somebody else's matters. It is very significant that this comes from the pen of Peter. Because Peter's weakness was always interfering in the lives of somebody else. How wonderfully... God the Father, in the person of Jesus, restores these disciples. I don't know why the Lord brought this message this morning to you. Maybe you are discouraged in your own Christian life. Maybe looking at your past, you think about yourself, there is no hope for me for the future. You only remember all the failures that have happened in your life, but God wants to tell you this morning, I can remake your life. I can rebuild your life. 
If I can rebuild Peter and make him such a powerful witness, I can use you in this generation. If only if you are willing. If you are willing, I can bless you, restore you, use you for my glory. Shall we pray? I don't know if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, but if he does and if he has spoken to you specifically in any area in your life, and if you want to use this time to tell the Lord, Lord, I want to come back to you. Lord, it is true that so many failures have happened in my life, but this morning I want to come back to you, to my loving Father, to my compassionate, restoring Father. I want to come back. Lord, you have come to my shore, the shore where I have disobeyed you, where I have gone in my own will headlong and courted failure. But this morning, Lord, I want to come back to you. Take me and use me for your glory. I want to be your witness, Lord. I want to be one who can take the bread of life and give to the hungry world around me. Lord, make me a blessing. If this is your prayer and if this is your cry, you can lift up your right hand and I want to pray for you. Anyone, God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you, sister. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? You can lift up your hand. Anybody else? May I request you to stand up in your place as a sign of your commitment. Just stand up in your place. Tell God with all your heart this morning, Lord, Lord, I want to be a blessing. Lord, I want you to make a difference in my life. Lord, I want you to give me the grace to take the bread of life and to give to those who are hungry around me. Do you know that the only wealth that you would ever be able to carry beyond the grave are the souls you have won? Your reputation does not go with you. Your money and your wealth and your house does not go with you. Nothing goes with you. But the souls that you have won for the Lord, they go with you. That's the eternal wealth that you, have, that you could earn for eternity. Anybody else would like to stand and commit himself, herself, afresh to the Lord? I welcome you and encourage you. Loving Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for being our restoring Father. Lord, not only our redeeming God, but this morning, Lord, we see thee in a new light as our restoring Father. Restoring us from our backslidden, fallen, discouraged condition. We thank you for the dear ones who stood up boldly and publicly to express their own inadequacy and their failure and to cry to thee for help. Lord, we pray that you would bless them. Take up their lives, take up our feeble lives into your loving and mighty hands. Shape us for thy glory. May our lives count for eternity. May we be channels of blessing to those who are yet without Christ, perishing in the darkness of sin. We pray this with thanksgiving in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.